Um, you know, I make jokes about Mennonite people time. Um, I guess I'm susceptible. So, anyway, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. That's from Colossians 4, 5. So um, you may be like, what does that have to do with stewardship? Hopefully I get to that, and it makes sense why I chose that verse. And secondly, it is Pentecost Sunday, and this isn't necessarily a Pentecost sermon. If you're looking at Pentecost as being the time when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early church, it really is the foundation of church as we know it, or what we've become <laughs> as a church and I, I do want to recognize that it is Pentecost Sunday. Um, and if you were in Sunday school, we did talk about that. And uh, I really enjoyed the conversation this morning uh, surrounding Pentecost. So um, I am going through the Mennonite Confession of Faith or the Confession of Faith in a Mennonite Perspective, 1995. That's not the price. That was the year they published it. And... Um, the article that I've gotten to this week is Christian Stewardship, which honestly is near the end of the confession. So I believe there's three more weeks after this. And then the Sunday or the Vacation Bible School program is actually going to be our service on that next Sunday. And then I won't be preaching out of the Confession of Faith in a Mennonite perspective anymore. So um, interestingly enough, I think when people take new positions as a pastor, they normally don't pick the two biggest sermon series they're probably ever going to do, but if you've known me for more than five minutes, you know I'm not typical or normal. It's, it's uh, been an amazing journey up to this point, though, so I'll say that. But again, welcome. I'm glad you're here this morning. I am going to actually start at Genesis, and there's a misprint. Um, I've mentioned it several times, and it's not a joke. I actually am dyslexic. It's supposed to say Genesis 1, 26 through 28. When I got here to church this morning and I was looking in my Bible, I'm like, well, reading Genesis 3, 26 is going to be rather challenging because it doesn't exist. So uh, it was actually Genesis 1. <laughs> 26 through 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that is one of the first things God tells human beings to do. Go fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion. Um that really got abused as a scripture during the uh, Industrial Revolution and, you know, westward earth expansion. A lot of times in history, people have really run with that verse to say, oh, you can treat the earth however you want. You're the master of it. We're supposed to be taking care of these things. We're supposed to be making sure that they last, so that they aren't all used up and tortured and then thrown away. Um... But these are things for us to use for certain.
And I don't want to, to harp on, I'm not really what we would call an environmentalist, sadly. Um, only because, like, I just stopped burning styrofoam 10 years ago, probably. So, um, but I'm making strides. I'm making strides. I don't always use paper plates, and uh, I generally don't throw things out of the window of my car anymore. And I even pick up trash when I see it. But I still wouldn't call myself a, a full-blown environmentalist, but it's, it, I think that's part of what God tells us to do with nature inherently in here is stop abusing the world I gave you. It's, um, I actually think that's part of our role as Christians, but this kind of speaks to like bigger resources too, I feel. Like God gave us all these things. How are you using them? Are you grateful for what you have or are you just using it because it's there? And now I'm going to uh, turn to Luke 12, Luke 12, 27. I have a bookmark there, but I just didn't want to use it. And now I did. So I have Luke 12, 27 through 40. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And I, I actually love these verses because like everyone else, I tend to worry about things that haven't happened yet or things that could happen, things that may happen someday. You have to make sure that you're, you know, insured in every possible area of life. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like, arrayed like one of these. If then God's... If then God so clothes the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink or have any anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves, provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants who the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, what if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, 
would he have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into? Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the, the section of scripture I just read opens up about don't worry about the things. It's really easy to worry about things, even basic necessities, especially if you own a TV. If you turn on the news, you're going to hear about the rising gas prices. You're going to hear about food shortages that are either happening or, depending on how far you want to go into conspiracy theories, are being created for our benefit. And it doesn't matter whether they're happening or being created for our benefit. But you'll hear about food shortages. You'll hear about economic problems. You'll hear about uh, turmoil in the world. You'll hear about all kinds of things. But why are we worrying? Consider the lilies of the field, which are here today and gone, to, gone tomorrow. And not even King Solomon and all of his majesty was clothed like the grass of the field is. God knows what we need. Is God not going to provide what we need? I also like to throw out a little common sense that we live in northwestern Pennsylvania. For 90% of us, give us a match and a sharp stick and we will survive. You were probably raised in the woods also, or around the woods or around the stream, or know how to grow vegetables. This isn't saying don't care, but don't worry. Don't worry. God knows what we need. I'm also not telling you not to complain about gas prices because that's crazy. That's just crazy. <laughs> but don't worry. If you really need to get there, you will get there. We're also urged in verse 20 or verse 33. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide money bags which do not grow old, the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. I've known a fair amount of people with material wealth who did not get to take it with them. In fact, they didn't even get to leave it to their kids like they thought they were going to. If you want to know if there is a greedy person in a family, wait until the mother or father dies and they're fighting over the will. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's some of the most animalistic behavior I've seen exhibited from good people is over the estates of their loved ones. And you think about it, someone worked and maybe they waited to retire and they made good financial decisions and they built up a nest egg to pass down to their children and it did not bless their children. In fact, it destroyed their children. Well, their love of money destroyed them or their sense of entitlement destroyed them. I was talking to a woman just a couple weeks ago who's uh, going through that right now. 
And even though the parent decided everyone would get this and this and this and made it known, he didn't put it in writing. So, didn't matter. And I'm not saying don't provide for your children and don't leave a state and don't leave a legacy. But if you're living for that goal, it's probably not going to work out the way you want it. But the good news is you're not going to be here anymore. So you don't have to watch them tear each other apart over a couple of pennies, which they don't get to take with them either. And part of their legacy and the legacy of their children gets to see that this is what we do when someone dies is we try to get as much as we can. And I actually think that that becomes the legacy. It's the legacy to the kids' kids who get to see, well, we're the ones that matter. Well, they messed up in 1975, so clearly dad wouldn't want them to have all this. There's baggage. I'm not saying don't save money, but I'm sure that some of the time and effort that goes into saving a million dollars or whatever a lot of money is now. Because people do that. You run into millionaires every day. And some people have sacrificed time with their families and worked every Sunday and sacrificed their health and well-being to build up this nest egg, to build up these treasures. And thieves and moths are going to destroy. And some of that time, and I'm not saying don't work, the Bible tells us to work. Work, take good care of your money, pay your bills. All of those things are good. Make sure that you're a responsible adult who takes care of their family and meets their family's needs. All of that I strongly affirm. Save for retirement even. Have some retirement. Enjoy it. But in the midst of all of that, build up some treasures in heaven. From our abundance, we can help other people. With our time, we can help other people. We have a tendency to measure tithe as only financially. And I think part of that is because we're a money society. You can look at how much your time's worth based on how much you got paid at work. Like, all right, so my time is worth roughly, wow, that's not much. And then you can go from there. And after a while, you're like, well, I tithe at church. And you do, and that's great. But if you work 40 hours a week, how many hours a week didn't you work? I'm just putting that out there. What about all that time? All that time that God gives us. And you'd be like, I don't have time. I know, neither do I. But we all have the exact same amount of time. There's 24 hours in a day. We all have the same amount of time. You have responsibilities. Fulfill your responsibilities. In fact, if you're raising kids, that is a ministry in its own. I'm not saying that you're not doing God's work. And I'm not trying to make people feel guilty unless they need to. <laughs> but what are we doing to build treasures in heaven? And this isn't how you get to heaven. 
by the way. And I say this every week, probably, or close to it, and it's kind of why I'm up here. You are saved in faith, are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And he forgives your sins. That is how you are saved. You're not saved because you fed people, or you're not saved because you tithed enough. These are things we're supposed to do. But if all you're worried about is getting to heaven, well, I've already told you, through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're worried about what kind of impact you can make for God's kingdom while you're here, there are so many things we should be doing. And there's many things we are doing. It would be nice to think that we all get to have an impact on the world around us and that we'll leave it a little better, that maybe we'll leave the church a little bit stronger. Maybe we'll leave our community stronger in faith having been here. Verse 35 talks about a master returning and finding certain events uh, ready for his return. And how blessed they will be if they're ready for the return of the master. And I know a lot of people, when they read that the first place, they turn to in their mind, and I'm not saying this is wrong. It's the first thing they think of is that Jesus did promise to return. So they're thinking of the second coming, and I think that's correct. For myself, I have a tendency to think about when God returns for me individually if I pass, which I will someday. And I'm fully at peace with that, but I want to be ready. I want to be ready to see Jesus because we don't know when that's going to be. None of us know when that's going to be. My friend Larry has been blown up three times and is still able to walk. I had a friend in high school who died falling down a single flight of stairs. We don't know how much time we have. We don't know how much time God has given us to work with. But I do know that with the time that God has given us, he's told us to be ready to build up treasures in heaven and to bless those around us. And in verse 40, it even says, Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. My daughter was watching some clip. She hates it when I talk about her. Uh, some YouTube clip yesterday about a college student who was crossing the street with his headphones on and a helicopter fell out of the sky and landed on him. He didn't hear it because he was wearing headphones. No one is watching for that. There is no one on earth who will step outside of this church today and be like, I better watch for helicopters. It happens. I was in a Dodge Neon that got hit by an 18-wheeler. I walked away. We don't know how life is going to go. We don't know when our time is going to be. 
God has saved me from death so many times that I can't help but feel like I'm not done yet. But one of these days I will be done, and it's not up to me. It won't be up to me. But I want to be ready. And a lot of times I have to sit and wonder, well, why wasn't it that time or that time or that time? Or a lot of those were my own stupid decisions, but I have to wonder why God didn't allow me to die this myriad of times, which like the opportunity was there. And I should have, or I could have. I can't even say I should have, because if I should have, I would have. But I most likely could have died, or logic would tell me, why are you still alive? And I have a list of those moments, going back to childhood. Probably the first time I stood up in a high chair and got stitches, or decided it'd be fun to try to saw open a knife, nightlight with a butter knife, any of those times. These are true stories, by the way. <laughs> I've been shot at more than a few times. I've made horrible decisions. And for whatever reason, all I know is for the rest of the time I have, I want to be a good steward of the time that God has given me. Because I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of running on extra lives. Were this a video game? I think I'm on the extra lives portion of that. Doing bonus levels. I, I don't know. I'm in extra innings if you're a baseball guy. And it's a blessing. And I don't want to make light of the fact that I feel like God has allowed me to live this long. And my great-grandmother was 101. I could be here a while longer. I don't know. And it doesn't... Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and honestly, um, one of the last times I almost died and was sure I was going to... Second to last time. Um, that I almost died and was sure I was going to. I was overwhelmed with such a sense of peace. that I can say the idea of going is okay. I don't have a fear of the end. I'm ready. And I want to make sure I'm still ready because if God puts an opportunity in front of me, I need to make sure that I'm taking it. And I need to stop cluttering my schedule full of everything that comes under the sun that I can say yes to because historically I have a tendency to say yes to things I don't have time to do. But it's all a blessing. During Sunday school, Don brought up the, the, the idea. He brought up the question, God had chose to restore his eyesight, which is amazing. I love that Don can actually, Don can read now. He couldn't even see me from here last year. And he's like, why did he restore my sight, but not somebody else's? And then I had this, I'm sarcastic by nature, so maybe I'm more prone to go in these directions and be like, but his back's still really messed up. But God restored his vision, but left his back. But do you begrudge God for restoring your vision? No, you praise God for restoring your vision because apparently Don needs to see. He needs to stop lifting heavy things. 
Is he going to? We'll see. Um, and I'm going to turn to Ephesians 3. I'm just going to start at Ephesians 3, 1. And I'm not sure why it, when I was preparing this, why this struck me as being so relevant. And I think there's areas in which we can exercise stewardship. The most obvious one is over our goods. If God is providing you with a means to provide for your family, you do the best you can with what God has given you. That is stewardship. You provide for people around you. That's, that's stewardship. Making good use of your time is also stewardship. One of the areas that I've always struggled in is sleep. I don't plan for sleep. To be honest, I don't even like to sleep unless it's mid-afternoon and there's something else I should be doing. Apparently then I'll fall asleep in a chair just for fun. But it's hard for me to be disciplined enough just to go to sleep. So little areas about time. Managing my time. Learning to be a good steward of the time that I have. So there's the area of goods, which everyone knows and thinks about when they think of stewardship. And time, right? You can be a good stewardship of the world around you, right? You can ride your bicycle instead of take a car and do all those little things, right? You can advocate for things. But I think the biggest area we as Christians tend to fall short of is being good stewards of our relationships. We have a tendency to take one another for granted. And I'm just as guilty of that as anyone else. If God blesses you with people in your life, which he undoubtedly has, we have a tendency not to value the relationships. Now, granted, you don't own the other person. I'm not saying you do. In fact, I think that would be wrong for you to own the other person. But we have a certain amount of relationships in our life. If I do a terrible job, and I don't get to find out until later, but if I do a terrible job with my daughter, with the relationship I have with my daughter, there will be effects from that. That could be very damaging. If I don't steward the relationship I have with my wife, things will be harder. If we don't, if we don't act as good stewards with the relationships of the people we go to church with, it's going to become more and more challenging. And I don't talk about the devil much. I think he gets far too much credit at other churches sometimes. But I believe in him. And if I was the devil, that's what I would do. Is I would get you guys mad at each other. And that's all I'd have to do. Is I would make you guys mad at each other. And I would make you calloused and insensitive and offended and angry and hurt because hurt people hurt people. And that, was a, that would be all I'd have to do. Because I wouldn't stop the will of God, but I would certainly slow it down. 
because you're not going to stop the will of God. You're not going to defeat God's church because it will exist. It will exist and it will carry on after I am gone. But how big a part in it will I have played? Anyway, I'm going to read Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if I indeed have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. So Paul's given a ministry to the Gentiles. And if you want to talk about irony, Peter, the blue collar fisherman, ministers to the educated Jews. Paul, the most educated Jew on earth, ministers to the Gentiles. I'm telling you, God built an upside down kingdom and it's amazing. How that by revelation, he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partaking, partakers of his promise in Christ, through the gospel. Verse 6 reminds me of Sunday school again when uh, Albert asked how comfortable or how we would feel about going to a Pentecostal church or something like that. And then Don said, well, we're not going to separate heavens. And I, of course, was trying to make jokes that failed, but that's not important. There's a greater mission in the Church of Jesus than whether or not I'm a Mennonite or a Methodist or whatever. There's a greater thing going on. All things need to be done to the glory of God. And it doesn't matter if you go to a Catholic church. And it doesn't matter if you go to a Lutheran church. And it doesn't matter. As It doesn't matter. What matters is are we being the church? Are we living to the glory of God for his glory? Are we doing our best to understand the scriptures, the very oracles of God for his glory? I may be the only person on earth who has read the complete works of Menno Simon twice. It is exhaustive. And what I have learned through reading the complete works of Menno Simon is he cared very much about scripture. He cared very much about people. And I still think he'd be absolutely mortified that we call ourselves Mennonites. Because he was not a glory hound. And I love this tradition. I say that every time I criticize it. I love this tradition. 
because we're Christians. I don't love Christ because I'm a Mennonite. I'm a Mennonite because this is how I feel called to follow Jesus. Because that's the point. That's the part that matters. Is this is how I feel follow how I feel called to follow Jesus. And when we go to heaven and we meet all the completed Jews, completed Jews is a messianic term. We would call them Christians, but they're still Jews. And you meet a bunch of Pentecostals whose flags just distracted you so much during the worship service, because that was my experience. Or you meet the Catholics that did so much of the stuff wrong. That was, and you meet the Baptists who didn't like anybody else. Some of the Baptists are the friendliest. I'm just saying stereotypes here, right? And you meet all these people and we're all in heaven and we all forget what we were arguing about because we were all supposed to be focusing on Jesus. And unfortunately, some of us won't realize that until we're before his throne, that that was the point, was to bring glory to God. Because if you read in Revelation, that is the point. When we all go to heaven, it isn't just going to be because we want to go run in like fields of wildflowers and whatever your vision of heaven is. It's because it's going to be the overwhelming presence of God. And we're all going to be there together forgetting what we were fighting about. Although if God wants to make me laugh, I'll get to see a beautiful argument between uh, Boyd and Sproul where they're talking about what scripture meant. Because hopefully they'll both be there and I would love to see how that pans out. But it's all supposed to be for the glory of God. All of it. It's not to have a bigger building and it's not to have more people in the building, though I would love it. It's not even to be right all the time, because unfortunately, I know I won't be. It's for the glory of God and clinging to Jesus for all we're worth. Because that's really all you can do. But if we could make it a point to carry each other while we're doing it, it would go a long way. I think it becomes very easy to forget each other. And I would strongly urge you, don't do that. You will never look into the eyes of another human being that Jesus wasn't willing to die for. We're worth a little discomfort to one another. We are. We're worth the discomfort of having genuine relationships with one another because they're not going to be comfortable all the time. 
But something you have to realize is even when you're upset with someone, God isn't picking his favorite child. Because it's both of you. And sometimes that's really upsetting. I'm not saying one of you isn't right and one of you isn't wrong. You could both be right. You could both be wrong. Life's complicated. But whatever we're doing, can it be to the glory of God? Because that's all that lasts eternally anyway. There was more to this, but I think that's where I'm going to stop this morning. If I've upset you, either this week, last week, the week before, I would ask you to either talk to me or call me sometime during the week. Because I am an imperfect and sometimes incredibly insensitive person. But I do love you. And if I've done something, even if I don't agree that I've done it, I would love the opportunity to at least work through it. Okay? So I would like to extend that invitation that if I've upset you, can you just let me know? And that's not pointed. I'm not actually aware of anyone that I've upset personally. This week. But I know historically... I've had people mad at me for years sometimes for stuff I didn't realize I had said or done. And life is too short to be playing this game to be someone else's stumbling block. I don't want to be your stumbling block. Because there's a good chance that, yes, I did say it, yes, I did do it, I don't know. You can do a lot of insensitive stuff in 40 years. I have no idea what I've done. But if I've done something, please tell me so we can work through it, so I can apologize if I need to. But if for no other reason, just so you can let me know so I can be more careful. Okay? Anyway, if you are able to do so without pain, would you please stand with me? Father God, I thank you for all the people that are here this morning. I thank you for those who attend that aren't able to come today. I thank you especially for our visitors this morning. Father, I pray that we would love one another and strive to love one another as you love us. Father, I pray that we would be good stewards of the time that you give us, of the money that you give us of our land, of our finances, of our relationships. But Lord, I pray that we would have the desire to make all things for your glory, Lord. I praise you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Um, that's going to bring us to our time of announcements, prayer, and sharing, which will be led by Albert Brenner. I have a couple things that came in the mail that I'm going to share with you real quick.